Hey, Tim. How's it going? Hey, David. How's it going with you? Had a great, am, uh, great time in Columbia. Now you're in, in Bama, yeah, Alabama. Yeah, Alabama. They seem very nice. I've only interacted with about three people because I'm in the middle of nowhere, essentially. But all three have been very friendly. So it's good. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit colder. But I actually, when I got to the U.S., the first step out of the airport was such a kick of refreshing air. Like, cause I'd just been in like hot, humid air for about, you know, three months. Right. So it was nice. What's, what's the temperature like there in Alabama and beginning of March? Uh, it's around 15 to eight, 15 to 18 to 20 Celsius during like as the high, which is right. like, I really like that, but it's, it's been raining for three days straight. So now it's oh. finally sunny. So after this, I'll go enjoy the, the out of doors a bit. Right. And are you planning on doing any cultural learnings in Alabama? You didn't do much cultural learnings in Columbia. I encouraged you to go out to the rural area to see the donkey humping. I, encouraged I did you to go to the rural area look, and oh, I did, did ask them about the donkey oh. humping, but they didn't, they said that they've not heard of that before, oh. but they were Ice the indigenous media, people. You led me astray again. They did hear about the drugs, the, uh, oh, scopolamine, scopolamine. Yeah. Yeah. They did hear about scopolamine, but they'd not heard about the donkey humping. Oh, oh interesting. Okay, well, very good. Very but good. no, I did have uh, on. I did a one week like vacation, and I had a bit more of a cultural experience there. I ate the food, hung out with some indigenous people, and oh, that, wow. that kind of stuff. Um. Anyways, let's get into coronavirus a little bit. We talked mm. about it before. It was um blowing up let's say it was just kind of like yeah. oh what's going on and now we basically know it's going to spread all over the world um yeah i'm not that alarmed but people are but i'm like you know a young healthy lad i'm confident i'll get through my right. coronavirus um yes but someone reached out to you and asked if we could talk about a specific aspect of it which is something that i don't think i've heard talked about anywhere generally which is about kind of in particular, medicinal supply chain, but supply chain generally, because there's going to be big issues in China yeah. and in India, which supply a lot of goods. And this individual was in particular worried about medicine that comes out of these countries. So why don't you fill us in a bit sure. about that? Yeah, well, I will, uh, I'll read out his message here. And by the way, uh, if you're listening to the show, you know, if you want to drop David or I uh, a message, topic ideas, things you'd like to hear us discuss, by all means, uh, reach out to us. Uh, we love hearing what you guys are interested in. So here's what he says. Given the coronavirus knock-on effect can or will be as bad as severe shortages of essential goods that are overwhelmingly produced in places like China and India, I'd love to hear a libertarian take on this. Medicines such as antibiotics come to mind. I understand between China and India, over 90% of the world's antibiotics are produced in these countries. India has just announced a restriction on importing any meds. Libertarians are generally in favor of open free trade, and the end result is often the cheapest producer globally becomes the main, if not sole producer of said goods. Does this not create an extremely fragile global supply chain? If it does, are there free market solutions you think we should be, be discussing to avoid these situations? And if a bit of protectionism of key industries is a net negative, would it not help prevent these fragile uh, scenarios? So, I mean, this is great. Uh, Before you give your answer, because you'll have a lot more to say on this, I want to just sure. jump in with my initial thought. But sure. I think you're going to say it's great that someone reached out and ha is thinking about these and wants to know. 
Um, But my initial thought is that the reason it's so fragile is because of so many regulations at home, right? We can't adapt quickly. We can't move a bunch of stuff here. We can't have cheap labor. Like the reason there's many, it's much more complicated than just to say, oh, China has it because China has it. There's many reasons why it's cheaper to produce things there and why it would be difficult to shift quickly to have things produced here. And so the inflexibility isn't just because China's cheaper. There's many other issues at play, and that's what comes to mind yeah. uh, to me first. But what, you'll have a lot more to say about this generally, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think if we want to look at fragility and the fragility of the system, there are a lot of places to look at, uh, you know, we did a, an episode on healthcare not too long ago, and I explained how I couldn't start, just go out and start a community paramedic business, even though there's an urgent need for it. So that would be illegal for me to do. And if you times that by a million, you get the sense of how many entrepreneurs and people who are able to provide things that we are desperately needed right now in the marketplace uh, just can't do it. And things that you and I have no idea about, things that you and I would want if we even knew about them, but we don't even know about them because the people that have that expertise that would bring them to market aren't even allowed to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So how many people might have a, a sick grandma or grandpa that they're having struggling to figure out how to whether to put them in a nursing home or do this or do that, they're, they're, they don't see it as kind of a binary option. They've never heard of something called a community paramedic who could bridge the gap for them and provide things. Well, you know, the, yeah. the, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're ignorant of so many things that could help us out that would make us more robust. So one that's thing, the first thing. One thing that's just alarming to me that I've seen some people tweet about and, and this kind of thing is that, they're not even able to test properly right now because the CDC is the only one who can do the coronavirus test is my understanding. And so I've read a, right. about doctors saying that they are sending people home who they think have it, but they're not able to actually test without like a specific like checklist from the CDC of this sure. is what you need to do in order to get the access to even test. And so there's so many issues at play, but sorry. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I, exactly. I mean, that's another example. Like, there's no right to try uh, experimental medicines, right? Like, right. You, you don't get the, you don't have the right as a consumer or someone who's sick or someone who has a poor prognosis or basically a death sentence from your disease to try an experimental treatment that hasn't been approved. Um, so just think about how, how fragile that makes us, how it shuts down advancement in science, uh, to not be able to run these, uh, experiments, uh, you know, at scale, uh, because, because it's illegal. So that even talks about plays into the vaccine. Like someone was telling me, they think that a vaccine's almost like developed already, but then I've heard from someone, regardless when it's developed, you then have at least a year until it's approved for use. Right. So it's like we know this disease is coming. We know we can develop a vaccine, but just we have to wait. And even if someone wanted to use it earlier in the testing stages, they are not allowed. Right. And it's like maybe I wouldn't because I'm not a high risk person, but maybe someone else would want to take that risk, so to say, or mitigate the risk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, another place that I want to point out we are super fragile is because of central banking and the printing of money and the, the artificial lowering of interest rates. So normally what would happen, just imagine uh, any system where there's a catastrophe 
And you want to have some emergency funds saved up for that, right? Because you know, let's imagine a hurricane, you know, or let, let's think about what people lose their minds about in uh, hurricanes where there's what they call price gouging, right? Entrepreneurs or people have something that people around them desperately want. There's a huge scarcity of it. So they jack the prices way up. Mm-hmm. Now, most people say this is bad and, and, they say that uh, they have anti-price gouging laws, let's say, well, all that does is cause people to, to buy up as many pallets of water as they can, can walk out of the store with, right? And so, you know, price signals are super important in this situation. Now, the people that are prepared, you know, they, they have money saved up. They can buy the goods and services that they need at that time. The prices are going to go up. Uh, and that price signal is going to send a signal to entrepreneurs. And, and there have been stories of people driving trucks through hurricane weather to get there because of the profit margin incentive right. that these prices drive. Right. And so you, you can extend this to a pandemic or, or what we're experiencing now with COVID-19, where it seems like all our, our, so many of our uh, components and products are, are even come right out of Wuhan for some reason. Uh, I guess it's got cheap manufacturing or something. Um, well, okay, now we can't get those. So the prices of things are going up. Now, that shouldn't be an issue if we have any kind of savings for an emergency built up, right? Um, and that price signal shouldn't be an issue because um, as soon as the price goes up, entrepreneurs start flooding the market in that area because there's probably someone in India or if that's shut down, there's someone in in uh, I don't know Malaysia or someone in Mexico or someone in Vietnam, lots U.S. Of or Canada. There's an entrepreneur going, "Hey, there's a shortage of this thing that I know how to produce. Now that they can't get it from there, I can make I can be right. profitable here, right?" And so, so the system, so the free market isn't as fragile as people think. It's not as if you know what is fragile is protectionism because then it says. Well, there, there's a law in place saying you can't get your goods from here. You can only get it from here, from this one plant in Canada or this one plant in my community because mm-hmm. we're only buying local, right? And I mean, we can extend protectionism right down to the local level. I live in Edmonton. Um, maybe some of the goods that we get have here in Edmonton come from Calgary. Let's say we close Canada's borders. Let's say we even close Alberta borders and say right. we're going to be self-sufficient as a province. We're not going to produce anything from outside. Well, let's take it down even further. Why, do, why can't we just be self-sufficient in Edmonton? Because what, what happens you know, if we can't get our goods from anywhere else? Um, well, the problem is <laughs> now we're paying more than we, than we would have for things, and it makes us poorer. Uh, overall. So we can't save, we can't invest, we can't, we, we don't, we lose that anti-fragility. We become far more fragile by having to pay more artificially when something could be produced for cheaper that's outside our borders uh, in Calgary there. Um, you know, being able to get access to that makes me, makes me more well off um, and makes community more well off. So that, that's the first thing. So the, the concern here is that have we built up a fragile system because of this, um, this essential monopoly global, of China, let's say, well, yeah, or the global supply chain even. Mm-hmm. Right. And the only thing that would make that fragile, like let's say we get all our antibiotics from one plant in China because it's so cheap. 
they can do it for so cheap that it like they just drive everyone out of business let's say they even use slave labor like they force people so they don't even pay their employees they just march the maybe they march the uyghurs these muslims that they have in re-education camps maybe that's all they they just force them to make this antibiotic so they're making it for zero dollars and no one can compete with that and so everyone gets their antibiotics from this plant and then coronavirus hits and the we can no longer get our antibiotics from that. Well, yeah, that's, that's an issue right off the bat because that's our one supply. But are you saying that no one else can produce this antibiotic anywhere else in the world? I find that hard to believe. But because mm-hmm. we have a, a network uh, of open trade borders all over the place, someone in any other country, including Canada, could say, well, I know how to make antibiotics. And now that you know, I'm not competing with zero dollars, right. um, I can, you know, it's going to be profitable. Now it's going to be a bit more expensive for the consumer because we're no longer able to get access to slave produced antibiotics. Um, But, uh, you know, as long as we have, as long as we don't have central banking, uh, we should have some savings. But right now the problem is everyone is, is in debt up to their eyeballs. Uh, most, most Canadians, most North Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. It's not going to take much of a hit to have them in, in, dire straits. And mm. so, yeah, the, we are just not prepared to absorb extra costs for things because supply chains get interrupted. And, you know, that, and, and again, protectionism just amplifies that because now instead of having the whole world open to you in terms of supply chain, you have one place or two places in Canada that are supplying your needs. And what happens if, if some, that's where their manufacturing goes down? Yeah. Now you're screwed. Right. So, so we need to, to have access to multiple supply chains. That's what free trade does. And, um, and yeah, so I would just leave it at that, I guess. I'll, I'll bring back up my initial point, which I think plays into what happens or what's in the way of that person in Canada competing, even when they, they have a cost competitive, uh, they have an ability to charge more because the slave labor, you know, factory is closed. The regulations make it very hard to ramp up quickly. And there's minimum wage laws and there's other things which make their costs much more than they would be, right? If they can, if there's an emergency and they have a bunch of people who want to work for free or at $10 an hour or $5 an hour to do this and get it out quickly and make the profit, they could, but they're not able to because there's regulations, there's time delays, and there's minimum wage laws, and there's so many yep. other things in play, which one is why everything's manufactured in China and India in the first place, but two is why it's so difficult, even when that goes down, to get something going quickly and, and compete against a failing or falling China, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just imagine a world like, you know, I, I've used this argument before when we talk about robots taking jobs or artificial intelligence. And I'm saying, yeah, that this is a good thing because it makes us more productive mm-hmm. as an economy and as a society. And eventually someone might produce a robot that I can have in my home that will manufacture literally everything uh, I want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and so let's imagine a robot that can manufacture antibiotics or something like that. Okay. What, what are, so like, I, I don't, you know, opening up trade gives us that anti-fragility. It means that if someone in China or someone in Mexico invents a robot that can manufacture things for me, yeah, that might take jobs away from some factory in Canada, 
but it means that I, as a Canadian, can manufacture the things I need in my own home. I don't need to rely on that. Freeze those people up to do something more productive, uh, because if they can't compete with my robot in my home, then you know they're they're not pr- providing me or anyone else any value, anyways, at that dead end job. So now they can go do things more productive. They can maybe teach people how to use these robots, or they can invent new ways to use these robots, or they can become a robot consultant, or they can employ a whole fleet of robots themselves and start mm-hmm. a business. You know, run their own it now becomes accessible to them to run their own manufacturing firm and not just be a worker on an assembly line acting like a robot or something like that. Um, So, so yeah. So, I mean, what we need to do is look at um, how do we get more personal power here? How do, and that, that is having multiple supply chains available to us. It means having some savings and for an emergency difficult to do in a time like this. I, you know, when you have central banks, you know, the bank of Canada just lowered its interest rates again, they're really inflating that bubble. But now when every, everyone else is getting cheap credit, cheap loans, cheap money and consuming, 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 now is the time for us to be saving because the crash will eventually come. And when the crash comes, then that's the time to start using our savings to invest in things. So, you know, last week was a good time to buy stocks because, uh, the coronavirus panicked everyone. Everyone was afraid of supply chain and all the things that this this uh, person was scared of. They Investors became scared of and they just started dumping their stocks because they're like, oh man, these businesses are going to be worthless if they can't um, trade and if they can't mm-hmm. get export. Okay, well, uh, if you're like me, you and me, and you think, okay, this coronavirus is probably way overblown. It's probably just about as bad as the flu, maybe a bit worse, but still the world's going to keep ticking on when this panic settles down and mm-hmm. this is just panic selling. Okay. That's a great time to buy. I should be, when everyone else is selling, I should be buying. Yeah. Um, and, and you just look at the overall macro economy and you say, okay, bank of Canada just lowered its interest rates again because they're under this Keynesian assumption that you need to be consuming. That's the, that's the um, way you measure economic prosperity is how people are consuming. When we say it's how you are producing and investing, Okay, Bank of Canada lowers its rates. Everyone is getting loans, getting loans. Okay, maybe that's a signal for us to uh, keep some powder dry and and save up because there's going to be a crash coming or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. But you know, it, it's not it's not the free market that is creating fragility here. The free market is the thing that is creating anti-fragility despite all the fragility that government injects into the system. Yeah, I I agree. And I appreciate you enlightening us about the libertarian view on us, a very particular aspect uh, of the coronavirus issue. Obviously it's going to hit a lot of what's going on in the world, but in particular because of people's view of it more than just the fact that it's a new virus. Right. And, and people are becoming aware of how fragile things is like the, the, the state controlled economy is right. And mm-hmm. so everyone's running to the store to get toilet paper and rice and whatever, because they're, they're panicked. And okay, we, as libertarians, we should be aware of how fragile this system is and have, uh, you know, an emergency supply of things, have some ammo, have some, uh, some guns, have some, uh, dry product because we understand how fragile things are. It's not going to take much um, to, to, you know, cause a collapse with this uh, 
central banking cartel and everything else we have um, and and the the corporate media that injects panic every chance it gets into the news cycle mm-hmm. so um, we need to be aware of that because I, you know i 'm not a, really that worried about the coronavirus i i'm I work on the front lines and so uh, when coronavirus comes through my community i 'm going to be out there uh, exposing myself to these people and you know i'm not overly concerned about that but what i am concerned about is the bureaucratic response the government response to that mm-hmm. uh you know there were 25 firefighters that were recently quarantined because they went they responded to a nursing home where a patient had coronavirus uh you know so am i going to be cut off from my family am i going to be able to go get groceries because of this uh extreme uh response to uh trying to control this thing that is doesn't seem to be you know the flu yeah it's it's basically yeah i mean i you know i the jury's still out like it certainly it's probably more serious than the flu if i were to personally get it i wouldn't be more concerned about it than than the flu but um you know people that are vulnerable probably need to be more concerned about it than the flu uh but yeah you know who knows all right thanks tim hopefully neither of us get uh coronavirus well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I kind of look at episode, it like, maybe. like, like, like uh, chicken pox, right? You know how some parents I never had chicken pox. Well, some parents, if there's a kid in the neighborhood that has chicken pox and your kid hasn't got it, you go have a chicken pox party so that everyone gets yeah. chicken pox, everyone gets immune and we're all, we're done with it kind right. of thing, right? We're immune now. Well, that's maybe, not, that's now, we, <laughs> now it's a standard vaccine, actually, chicken pox for, for young kids. Right. Okay. So now you can get a vaccine. You don't have to go to a, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe we don't have but a yeah. vaccine yet for coronavirus. Maybe, you know, what we, we should, should all do just is just get go sick get, together and then I'll get sick together, with. get it over with, rip the bandaid off, let people get back to sanity. Yeah. But you know, I'm a bit, bit of an outside the box thinker. <laughs> Thanks, so, don't put me in charge of public health, I guess. See ya.